Good morning, Victory City family. What a joy it is to be back with you this week to share again in the Word. Um, just always grateful to be able to stand in this pulpit and share with you the Word of God. Always grateful that the Lord gives us His Word for the preaching of the gospel. I am always excited about preaching the Word, and this is not an exception. I am so excited to preach this Word. Um, Just as we've been walking through the book of Acts, there are so many truths that are revealed to us through that book. And as we are working through, I think God is revealing more and more to us about the Holy Spirit, about our relationship with him and the relationship and the responsibility that we have as believers in the body of Christ. So as you remember last week, we actually looked at the work of the Holy Spirit and what his work looked like for us on the day of Pentecost and what it does throughout the life of Christians. And if you remember, I really wanted to emphasize for people the need to truly understand the Holy Spirit because there has often been an over-focusing on the gifts or the culture that we have created or the response that we give to the Spirit, but many have failed to even respond to the preached gospel. In fact, if we are honest, there has been an underemphasis on real, true, gospel-centered, gospel-focused preaching in our churches. I believe that if we can point to anything that ails what is going on in the world and what's going wrong in the church, I think it it all points back to a lack of sound preaching in a world that is sick with sin. Many times we have failed to give people the sweet saving nectar of the gospel and we have given them rather self-help kits and really 10 steps to reaching their potential because we have been convinced for many people that Jesus is the accessory to their garment of righteousness that they put on, but there's really nothing that he does transformational in our lives. He doesn't really require much of us anymore. What the world and the church need is a return of the faithful men who preach the gospel to do just that to preach the gospel. The source of all salvation will always be traced back to the seed of the gospel that was planted in our hearts by the sovereignty of God, which he allowed to grow and flourish in us. For this reason, Paul proclaims in scripture, we are not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. You hear that? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So if the gospel is the power of God, then that means that the preaching of the gospel is the conductor of that power. In our world, everyone has a new methodology and a new idea about how to reach the lost, but God has been saving people the same way he has always saved people, and that is through the preaching of the gospel and the beautiful testimony of Jesus Christ. 
Preaching any other gospel has been condemned and is damnable in Scripture. I've been asked by people with regularity, how do I know if a sermon is good or not? And I always respond with this. Who was the sermon about? Who was the sermon about? In every single sermon, you really only have a few options. It's either about you, it's either about the preacher, or it's about Jesus. Now, some wise God might say, well, I really can't see Jesus until I see myself. But the truth of the gospel is, is that you really don't see yourself until you've seen Jesus. It's not until you've seen Jesus with clarity that we can see with clarity our own selves and our own lives. And even if a preacher is saying that you will get a new house or a new car or a better job or money, and Jesus is the way for you to do that, he's still just attaching enough of Jesus to it to make it about Jesus. But it's really still all about you. We need faithful men who will stand up in their pulpits and proclaim the gospel truth. That is the only way that salvation happens. Yes, we need revival in America, but that revival will start in the offices and in the studies of God's men who he has called to pastor and shepherd his people who will proclaim the word of God unabashedly and unapologetically. In today's text, we see a lot of things, and one of the most important things that we see is Peter's willingness to cleave to what is right and what is true about Scripture. And in the midst of this massive crowd, not lose sight of the truth of the calling, telling people about Jesus. Jump with me, if you will. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the word, Lord. You have given us the word of God to propel us, to preach the truth, to proclaim the truth, to let nothing distract us or distort the truth of the gospel, God. And so we pray that in this sermon today that you will give us the clarity and the truth that we need to faithfully defend apologetically the word of God in such a way that it leads men and women and children into your sweet grace and salvation. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. So the title of today's sermon is The Power and Priority 
of preaching, the power and priority of preaching. In the world today, in churches today, there is such a lack of emphasis on preaching the word of God with the same fire and fervor that we lead small groups or that we have gatherings or concerts. And so it has become the aside that many of us have forgotten about, but we need to reprioritize in our churches the importance of the preaching of the gospel. And so our first point in today's sermon is Peter clears the air. The first thing that Peter does here as he gets ready to preach is that he clears up for everyone what they had just witnessed. So remember, they had all come together on Pentecost and the Holy Spirit fell on the people, the Jews who were there, and they were all speaking in different languages. And there were some people who were unsure about what was happening. And so as Peter begins, even before he begins actually preaching, he says, let me give you clarification on what just happened. And that is one of the most essential things that we do as men of God who proclaim the truth of God is that we offer clarity, but we do so from the word of God. Peter knew that there was confusion among the people about what had happened and what they were witnessing, so much so that they actually accused some of those men there of being drunk. Now, when they say that, Peter says, well, they're not drunk because it's just the third hour of the day. Now, let me give you some context there. What it means by the third hour of the day is that they're in the middle of Pentecost, so for the Jewish people, they didn't eat until a certain time in the day. They didn't drink until a certain time of the day. And this was not just a societal thing, but it was very much a religious component to their faith. So he said, based on that, I know that they're not drunk and you know that they're not drunk. This would defile their culture. So he, he clears it up. He says, these men are not Drunk. That means that without a doubt, what these men were displaying and witnessing was in fact a supernatural and spiritual experience that was not the result of alcohol or inebriation. Now, Peter does what every true and faithful preacher should do in the midst of confusion. He points them to Scripture. There are many times where we are witnessing societal confusion, culture confusion, and instead of faithful preachers pointing us back to Scripture, we point us to politics or we point them to our personal position. But what every good faithful man who preaches the word of God does is he points people who are already confused to the only source of truth, and that is the word of God. We must, as preachers, pro proclaimers of the truth, we must point people back in the direction of Scripture, what God has already said about what is happening. Now, what Peter is doing here is still magnificent. As we know at this point, there is no New Testament. 
remember, all they had was the Old Testament scriptures, where at that point it was just scripture. It wasn't Old Testament because the very New Testament was being fulfilled and lived out by these men, Peter, Paul, and James, and John. They were living out the, the New Testament that we now read. So there is no New Testament that they can refer back to. So he refers back to the only scripture that they have, which is the Old Testament scriptures. And so what he does is he reaches back because he knows that that is the context for the audience that is there. Remember, there's a primarily Jewish audience. And so what he does, they all would have known who Prophet Joel was. They all would have been well aware of his teaching and his prophecies. And so he reaches back into their context to offer clarity on the present. He goes into the past to offer clarity on the present. That is what the scripture is for. It's not that we have to mill around in confusion about what's happening in our lives, but we have been given scripture to tell us to interpret what is happening in the present. And so that's what he does. He goes back to Prophet Joel to explain what they were seeing present tense, but also what they future tense were going to see. So he takes a text and he expounds on that text to draw people to the Lord and not himself. Remember, I've preached in front of large crowds, but I've never preached in front of 5,000 people. Peter here has an opportunity. He is preaching in front of 5,000 people, and he really has a decision that every preacher has to make every time we stand up and proclaim the gospel. Am I going to make this about me? Or am I going to make this about Jesus? Those are the options that we have. Am I going to preach and teach and lead people in such a way that they follow me? Or am I going to preach and lead people in such a way that they follow him? And what does Peter do? He makes sure that he draws the people to God and not himself. Now, the text he quotes from here is quite interesting. The first line of it is from the prophet Joel says, and in the last days, Peter is clearly, I think, defining the period that they were in as the last days. Now, I don't know about you. But I've been hearing about the last days since the 90s. And I know in the 80s, everybody thought Jesus was coming back. In the 70s, everybody thought Jesus was coming back. The 60s, the 50s, and so on and so on. Everybody always thought these are the, the last of the last days. So there are lots of people who have probably been hearing about the last days. And I remember having great fear as a child that the last days were coming, especially when we were going from 1999 to 2000. I just knew Jesus was coming back. So I have had that same fear that, oh, I'm living in the last of last days. So let's clear this up. How long have we been in the last days? Are we actually living in the last days? Well, I can tell you how long it's been. We've been in the last days since the coronation of the ministry of Jesus Christ. When Jesus came as the Son of God in the flesh, God in the flesh, he came and he coronated the beginning of the messianic period that will usher in the last days. So that's literally how long we've been in the last days, over 2,000 years. 
We have been waiting on the return of Jesus Christ. And in this sermon, Peter may have realistically thought that the the return of Jesus was imminent. It would be in any coming day. And so when he gets up to preach while they're having this joyous moment and this very spiritual moment, and you would think, you know, he's going to come in and really lift him up to a higher, he says, and in the last days... Now, there are some people who would hear what Peter was saying and say, Peter is not sensitive to the spirit. He's not operating in the spirit because he doesn't realize they're on this big emotional high. And he comes around talking about the last days. So what a downer, Peter, kind of a wet blanket on our Holy Spirit party that we were having. But for Peter... Holy Spirit coming was a reminder because he knew what Scripture said about the outpouring of the Spirit of God on all flesh. He knew that that was the sign of Jesus returning. And so he gets up not to preach in complacency, but he he gets up to preach with great urgency. I think that's one of the main things that is missing in modern day preaching is that we lack the urgency to to warn people that there is a savior who is going to return, who is going to judge our lives with righteous judgment. We are too comfortable preaching softball, vanilla sermons to make people feel good about themselves. But the reality is, is we don't tell people the truth. It doesn't matter how good they feel about themselves now. They're going, to be feel, they're going to feel horrible about themselves on that day. And so what we have to do as heralds of the gospel is warn people about the impending judgment that one day Jesus is coming back for his perfect, blameless, unblemished bride. And that's the church. And the only thing that's going to matter is, are you a part of that fellowship or are you outside of it? Yes, though the days seemingly pass without exemption, we must still look and see that Jesus is soon to come. And we must preach this with fervor as well. In clearing the air, Peter also foretells Not just, he doesn't just mention what they saw or what they're seeing, but he also tells them what would be seen. The first phase of what was happening was the outpouring of the Spirit. Now, he says that as he quotes from Joel, that God will pour out his Spirit on all flesh, and that requires clarification. In saying on all flesh, that does not disregard the internal condition of the person who receives, but rather it says regardless of the outside of the person, black, white, male, female, small, tall, big, whatever the case is, all people of all sorts can and will receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this next portion of Scripture has been interpreted and reinterpreted for many years now. And I've personally heard many people use it to defend many thoughts about their own theology. But this is not to defend this or that. It's not that kind of text. This is a text that requires context. What Joel says here as Peter preaches is to accomplish a few things. He is not just simply explaining what happened at Pentecost 
which a lot of people see and think that he's just simply doing that. And I absolutely can see why people would think that that's what he's doing, because he is to a degree explaining what the people were seeing. But what he is doing, however, is describing the entire messianic period that not only they lived in, but that we now live in. When he talks about your sons and your daughters prophesying and people seeing visions and dreaming dreams, he is connecting all that has been happening in that apostolic age, but what would also happen in the age to come. The visions and prophesying and dreams are not all distinct things that happen, but they all fully display the working and the outpouring of God's spirit. Now, what many people have mistakenly done to this scripture is that they use it as a a declaration for somebody to serve in some specific office, such as a prophet or that they could prophesy. But the term here, prophesy, literally means one who proclaims the word of God. That's what prophesy to prophesy means in the New Testament. It is one who proclaims the truth of God boldly. When we think in terms of who can be filled with the spirit, it is no different than who can be a priest. It is no different than who can be a minister. That is not an office. Okay, we are all male, female, old, young. We are all ministers of the gospel. We are all filled and have been filled with the Holy Spirit. And so to be a minister of the gospel is not to be reserved to holding some office, but it is to speak prophetically, which means declaring God's word. We are all priests. We are all prophets. We are all ministers of the gospel because remember when we spoke about it a few weeks ago, we have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses to the testimony of Jesus Christ on behalf of God through the working of the Holy Spirit to boldly proclaim the truth to everybody. You don't have to have a congregation. You don't have to have a pulpit. You don't have to have a big old gold chair with the lion's head on it. If you have the Holy Spirit, you You are a minister, a prophet, one who speaks boldly about the word of God, the truth of God. This was the linchpin of Jesus' ministry. It wasn't that he was Messiah and the word only went forth when he went forth, but he said that he was sending his disciples out as sheep in the midst of ravenous wolves. And of course, they had one cause, and that cause was to boldly declare the truth of the gospel in a hostile world that was vehemently against them. Look at what Jesus says in John chapter 14 and 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Wait a minute, Jesus. Jesus says that those of us who believe, he doesn't qualify it. He doesn't say the preachers who believe. He doesn't say the pastors who believes. He says, whoever believes. The minute we are saved, the fulfillment of the scriptures comes alive in our lives. We become immediate heralds of the truth of the gospel, and not one of us is absolved from proclaiming this truth. 
This is the only way that we will do greater works because we who have been empowered by the Holy Spirit will teach and proclaim God's word in a world that hates us. Now, where most people struggle understandably is that they don't know what to say. Many people have no clue when it comes in terms of what they're supposed to say in witnessing to people what what words they're supposed to use. And I understand that. They aren't preachers. They aren't pastors. So many people who want to share feel inadequate. But I would say here, take some cues from Peter. Know your text. Know your text. Again, Peter knew scripture, and that is what he gave these people. He doesn't give them some vain philosophy. He doesn't regurgitate something somebody else said, but he knew scripture. As believers, we must realize that the Bible is the most sure piece of weaponry that we have. God does not need people who are eloquent. He doesn't need people who are charismatic in speech, but he needs people who know the word and will share the word. And because we have all been likewise filled with the Holy Spirit, we all now have the power to do this. He empowers us to tell the truth about the word of God because we have become his witnesses. Now, as Peter goes on, remember, he is describing the entire messianic age. So we see him describing through scripture from the prophet Joel what was happening in its immediate context. But he is also foretelling a coming time through the prophet Joel. And this should be a great reminder for all of us. When Jesus came, he coronated that messianic age. In his coming, he did not just initiate his public ministry, but he set the time clock on all of these events to begin, even the end of the age and his return. The time clock began. Remember, when John the Baptist was warning people about the coming judgment, he made it extremely precise to the point that he told them, repent For the kingdom of God is either near or at hand. Now, he didn't say this just because Jesus was coming to establish his earthly kingdom, but he knew that Jesus coming meant that Jesus would come again to judge righteously with righteous judgment to divide those of us who believe from those of us who reject him. This preaching and teaching fueled the preaching and teaching of the apostles after him. And that is the direction that Peter is going. So let's make that the second and last point of our sermon today. Preaching must be prophetic. I don't know how we can call ourselves preachers if the preaching isn't prophetic. Again, this is not prophetic in the sense of I'm predicting the future, but it's prophetic in the sense that I'm telling you what God has already said in the word about the future. And I'm just boldly proclaiming that truth. Get this. The irony of many sermons today is that they all kind of boil down to what God can do now, how you can live your best life now. But the problem is that if you live your best life now, there's not going to be a future kingdom of God that awaits you. Then, and I would say 
if there's no future kingdom of God awaiting your life, then good luck on living your best life now. Every time we proclaim the word of God, we must warn or we must encourage. We must give hope, but we must also give a sense of urgency. When Peter stands up on this joyous occasion, as I mentioned earlier, while all these people are displaying the outward experience of the Holy Spirit that they, that they felt and saw, he doesn't try to exacerbate that. He doesn't try to emote from that. He doesn't try to manipulate the situation. He stands up while he has their attention, while God has grabbed them, and he boldly proclaims the truth of God. How many of us, if we had that same encounter, that same amount of people in front of us, wouldn't take that as an opportunity to boast ourselves, to display our gifts, to show how eloquent and charismatic we are when we preach? Peter doesn't do that. He knows that the reality is that he may never have all those people in the same place at the same time again. And so in that moment, he gets up and instead of trying to make them more secure in their reality, he tries to reaffirm them about eternity. That is what prophetic preaching does. It warns us that right now is temporal, but there is an eternal weight of glory that is coming for all of us who believe or reject. And the truth of the matter is, and I'll let you hear this out of my mouth right now, I don't want anybody who is watching this sermon or listening to ever feel comfortable enough in where we are right now because the Bible tells us in Hebrews that those who died in the faith were able to die in the faith because they knew that they were travelers, sojourners in a strange land, but they desired a greater country, one not made by the hands of man, and so they were able to do everything they did by faith because they knew that this was not the end of their lives, but that there was an eternity that awaited them. I don't want anybody listen here, listening here to be more secure in their reality than they are in their eternity. Because this life is fleeting. We all know that. That is what it means to faithfully preach is not to make you feel comfortable about where you are. But if you are a Christian, be, to be comfortable about where you're going. Preaching must be prophetic. If we cannot unequivocally tell people that they have been saved, what they have been saved from and what they've been saved unto, then how can we celebrate their salvation in the first place? If I can't tell them that there was an eternal destination that awaited them while they were living in sin, but tell them also that in Christ Jesus they have been free from sin and that eternal destination, if I have to skip over that so that I don't make people feel uncomfortable, how can I celebrate salvation in the first place? Our preaching must be Prophetic. Through this coordination, God will give signs and wonders and those who usher and these will usher in the great day of judgment. Our preaching must be prophetic. 
It is not enough to tell people what you think God will do, but we must go to the scripture and tell them what he said he's going to do. Now, he says here that there is coming a day of judgment and it will bring with it great signs and wonders and fear and horror for many people. But Peter calls it a great and magnificent day. A great and magnificent day. Let me tell you this. The only day that that the only way that that day will be great and magnificent for any one of us is that we know that we will be preserved from it and that we are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and that our sins have been taken away. That's why he says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Only those who know him in the power of of his resurrection will be preserved in the last day. Only those who have committed their lives, who have given Jesus the reign, the reigns of their lives will be saved. And for us who will be saved, it will be a glorious day. We must all face the reality of our Savior who will reappear people. And I don't know about you, But as the Bible says, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And I long, earnestly long for the day that he will reappear. Because I'm I'm not looking forward to passing from life to death. What's the Bible say? We will pass from death to life. And I can't wait for that day. But not only do we long for that day, while we still remain here, we must faithfully preach that truth, tell that truth to everyone we know, the truth of the gospel, not only in our churches, but in our homes, to our kids, with our spouses, on our jobs, with our bosses, with our coworkers, at family gatherings, with our loved ones. We must go into the world, a world that hates us, and we must drive out their hate with a love that loves them enough to tell them the truth. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Now, we thank you that you have shown us in your word the priority, the importance of our preaching, what it means to really know the truth and declare that truth prophetically without fear without any concern of how people will retaliate, but knowing that it means life or death for people to hear this gospel. Lord, even now, this gospel may have gone out to someone today, and this, this person may have passed today from death to life. And Lord, if this is the case, we pray earnestly now that you will find and make a way for us to get in contact with them if they, if they have been changed and transformed by the word of God that we welcome them into the family of faith. God, if there are people who are listening who have not been transformed, God, we pray that you will open their hearts, open their spiritual eyes. God, and give us the courage and the boldness to go out and prophetically proclaim the truth of the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.